This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cherry Picking and... It is episode 34, we're the other side of the international break, and I have got my main man, Manny, next to me. How are you doing, Manny? All good, Mr. Beasley. Wonderful to be back for a little um, cherry picking. I've missed doing this, and I missed the last one, which was quite special. But this time around, I'm right here by your side. Let's get some picking done. Definitely, definitely. And let's start off with um, the international break, because... I think it'd be rude not to mention it. Um, of course, we England had two games. Um, the first against U- the Ukraine, um, which was a one-all draw. Bit of a disappointing performance. But then there was the win against Scotland. And when you look at that bench, there's so much quality in this England side that really you know, we could and should be doing something at the next Euros and the subsequent World Cup. 2026 is the World Cup that I say, I've got my heart set on as, okay, everybody should be at their peak and that's the one we should go for. Agreed. Agreed. The only problem is um, when you select a squad the way Southgate did, picking players who either have not had game time this season or who are playing in a a lower standard league, you're not really going to get that much in terms of hunger to try to um, do well and compete for your places. The fact that Jordan Henderson, Calvin Phillips and Harry Maguire were picked to play and start against the Ukraine pretty much outlined the lack of imagination that Southgate um, has. When you're in a position where you know that a win against the Ukraine will pretty much um, go a long way to securing your your um, status as um, group leaders and potentially group winners. You know, you've got to go all out to beat them. And the Ukraine haven't exactly been um, in the best of sorts um, this particular campaign. And of course, um, when they tried to qualify for the World Cup, um, they actually ended up being... Uh, 
knocked out of contention at the final stage by a Welsh team that had uh, Kiefer Moore and Chris Mepham um, uh, playing playing pretty pretty big roles in that team. So this should have been the opportunity for Southgate to try to reward some form players with starts against the Ukraine in a big game. But um, to stick with Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, have them starting and see them, you know, not really be able to quite do the business. I think it it pretty much summed up his lack of imagination because there are several other players. I mean, you you take a look at someone like uh, Fikayo Tomori, who's been, you know, doing the business in um, Italy. The fact that he hasn't really been considered by Southgate is almost... um, I suppose I could say sacrilegious in a way, because yeah. I do get, I do take the point really that p- players like Magu- Harry Maguire and others haven't really let England down. Of course, John Stones being injured hasn't really helped the cause, and I think um, Stones and Maguire have always worked really well together. And then when you have a situation where we don't seem to have um, a really established left back, um, Ben Chilwell might be an option, but the fact that he was um, I mean, he played against the Ukraine, didn't do too badly, but mm-hmm. Luke Shaw will still be expected to be the first choice left back, and he's currently out injured for quite some time. And I really despise the fact that we ended up playing Kieran Trippier as a left back because the guy's right-footed. And I'm yeah. always um, a believer that the left um, back should be left-footed. No ifs, no buts, no walnuts. And um, it's a question of really the lack of imagination that Southgate has, the, his lack of um, willingness to try to... Um, you know, make something happen, be a little bit more proactive, depending on the same players. Still starting Bukayo Saka, although he started to look a little bit, um, you know, lethargic and all very, very tired in many cases. He did have a, a wonderful shot at goal, which was tipped onto the bar by the Ukrainian keeper. But apart from that, wasn't quite able to do very much. And when you have a situation where, you know, you keep um, playing him, starting him every week for Arsenal and keep um, playing him for England, you know, one of these days you are going to tie him tie him out. And I was angered listening to Mikel Arteta saying Arsenal fans have to get used to seeing Bukayo Saka start every week because he has to continue to prove that he can play every week and be and have that desire to prove himself, you know, to be uh, among the best, be someone like a Lionel Messi or what have you. He's not the next Lionel Messi. He has to be his own player. And for a person like him, you know, you've got to be smart in how you manage him, the way Pep Guardiola has been with Jackie Grealish, for instance. And uh, Grealish, um, you know, whenever he's played, um, uh, after being rotated, he was able to do quite well. And last season, of course, he was a key player as City won the treble. So to say that um, Grealish doesn't compare to Saka is absolutely, you know, outrageous in many ways. But the difference between a guy like Guardiola and a guy like Arteta is that Guardiola knows how to manage his players. Arteta doesn't. Southgate doesn't. So he brings on Phil Foden as a replacement for Saka, and he has a, de- has a more than decent outing. He starts against Scotland, scores the opening goal. And you'd think that when you have an option at right wing, a replacement for Saka, you think now that, I mean, maybe not so much a replacement, but definitely some strong competition, you think that a manager would be able to, you know, realize that he can, you know, shuffle the squad around a bit and try and work with what he could have. But it's still the same lack of imagination that's plagued him. It's plagued the likes of Sven Joran Eriksson, the likes of um, Fabio Capello, among others. Um, Roy Hodgson also, um, you know, completely floundered when it mattered. And I just think that if Southgate is to leave after Euro 2024, it will 
if I never see him manage England again, it will be too soon because we need a manager who will not be afraid to, you know, freshen up the squad and also be willing to give certain players a kick up the backside they need yeah. and tell them, you know, you've served us well, but it's time for you to walk away. And I think Jordan Henderson, the only reason why he might be getting starts these days is because Calvin Phillips isn't getting any minutes at City, Manchester City, that is. But uh, with Henderson having gone to play in Saudi, um, I don't care how many world-class players go over there. That league will still not compare to the Premier League. And most of those foreigners are in the twilight of their, light of their careers anyway. So um, you think I shouldn't be complaining after you know, drawing against the Ukraine and beating Scotland convincingly. Of course, a high-flying Scotland team that are also doing really well in yeah. their Euro qualifying group and also are going to be in the, um, you know, Group A of the Nations League as well. But, you know, they were somewhat flat and we took advantage of them without really getting out of uh, second gear. we still got a lot to do, Craig, and that really worries me more than anything else. To be honest, you made some really, really good points there, Manny, as well. And, you know, with regards to comparing Roy Hodgson, Sven-Goran Eriksson, Fabio Capello, all these managers throughout the time, they had some great players on their hands. Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Beckham, um, you name them. There's so many throughout the years that were quality. From the front to the back, you look at the likes of David Seaman, um, you know, and then going forwards, you've got Sol Campbell, Terry, jo uh, Ashley Cole, um, forward from that, Joe Cole. There was individuals, but I don't think there was the depth that there is now. And that is the thing that concerns me, is that Gareth Southgate is just going with what is tried and tested before. And Jordan Henderson might have had done very, very well for England. He's done very, very well for Liverpool. But he's now playing in the Saudi League, which is completely up to him where he goes. I know Neymar's gone over there as well as Cristiano Ronaldo. But they might be playing against each other. But again, there is not that strength in depth in that league. So you have got a lot of players. Effectively, it's like putting those players like Henderson, Ronaldo, Neymar in League Two. That's the equivalent of it. That's the equivalent of it. And what we really need is players that are playing at the very highest level. But secondly, you know, Gareth Southgate is lucky. He's got the strongest England squad for some time. There might not be the massive name at the moment, like a Beckham. You know, Beckham was an outstanding player, but he was an outstanding player in a team that isn't as good as the England team is now in depth. Um, and personally, I think... You know, Southgate needs to look at that and go, right, OK, I should trust these players more. Like you say, Tamori. Um, Tamori is a fantastic player. You've got um, Mark Gui at um, Crystal Palace. I was pleased that he was chosen for that Scotland game. Um, but these are players that really are the future 
Manny, aren't they? And these are the players that, you know, if we want to win a World Cup, we need to take a 22-man squad to the US, Canada and Mexico, take that 22-man squad and be like, if something happens, we're not concerned because we've got somebody there who can easily just slot into that position. And we've got a manager that will utilise that, not a manager who will go, oh, that's a bit of a hassle. You know, we're going to have to change the whole system, which it feels like Southgate will. We need somebody to go, right, okay, take take that man into the squad and the squad works around. And there is one man who I think can do that, who is English and who, will he take the job? I think he's having a whale of a time up north at the moment. But at the same time, if the England job comes knocking and the money is right, and let's be honest, he's proven himself both here and at Newcastle. I say it now, if Eddie Howe took us into the next World Cup, we'd stand a very good chance. A big call, mind you, a very big call. And if he were to, of course, um, you know, manage England, I think one of his big, the biggest calls he'd make, he'd make would be to drop Jordan Pickford and put his own man, uh, Nick Pope, in. Of course, that would come at the expense of the former Cherry and Aaron Ramsdale. But given that Ramsdale is, of course, in his mid twenties, you'd have to think that at least in theory, the future would be his. Um, the only issue I have, and I think I mentioned this before, mate, is that. Um, the Saudi owners are not going to allow England to come, you know, knocking on their door to try and prize Eddie Howe from their cold, dead fingers unless the money is, um, you know, right. It would literally have to be a king's ransom, a Saudi yeah. king's ransom, if you will. <laughs> I, I really shouldn't say it that way because, I mean, that could be, you know, um, uh, an outrageous thing to say. But it's just a, a mention of trying, it's just an attempt to try and emphasize the point that there is. I don't think there's any, there's anywhere near enough money that the FA can offer to try and um, you know take Eddie Howe away. Having said that, though, Newcastle haven't really had the best of starts of the season. After their excellent 5-1 win, where they completely pasted Unai Emery's Aston Villa, yeah. they ended up um, suffering a pretty um, unfortunate um, run of results where they lost to City at the Etihad and then contrived, of course, to... Um, lose to 10-man Liverpool, who yep. had Virgil van Dijk sent off and who should have had TAA sent off, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And um, that same Liverpool team, of course, I'm really sorry to mention this, um, had to depend on a great deal of good fortune to beat um, Bournemouth, it must be said. Brilliant save from Neto from the Salah penalty, but just unfortunate that he couldn't stop the rebound. But um, Newcastle still will need to try to weather that particular storm. And I did predict that they would see a bit of a drop off given how they overachieved last season. And especially with other teams having, you know, um, um, regrouped and strengthened, um, Newcastle are going to find it perhaps a little bit tough, I would say. But going back to Eddie Howe, I think he's going to pro probably try and um, wait for this particular season. And this could be a decent time for him because the Saudi owners are not going to be um, necessarily patient with him, especially if um, the drop-off um, is fairly huge in that, God, heaven forbid, of course, for Toon fans, they fail to qualify for Europe and don't win the title. It could very well be uh, that the, the owners decide, you know what, Eddie, um, you've been wonderful for us, but it's time for us to level up a little bit. And then, of course, um, the timing would be right because Southgate will be on his way out. 
Eddie can be can come in and uh, maybe freshen up the team a bit. I just think, though, that it may be easy for managers to make big calls at club level. At international level, sometimes it just seems to me that loyalty ends up becoming more and more um, of the order of the day. One reason why I do remember Bobby Robson as a fine manager, and I have fond memories of Italia 90, yeah. is, uh, I don't know, how old were you then, mate? I'm 37, 37, 38 Three. Five years, five, five year, four or five years younger than me, but you should remember Italian 90 yes. at least, if not Euro 88. Now, I didn't see Euro 88, and um, if I had, I wouldn't have been very happy because I remember that particular team um, was exceptionally strong. Uh, a lot of fine players in that team. They were even favourites to win the title, but luck wasn't on their side. I believe they, um, you know, lost to the Republic of Ireland with... Uh, Ray Houghton scoring the winner and Mick McCarthy completely uh, making Brian Clough eat humble pie. They lost to an overpowering Holland team with Marco Van Basten scoring a hat-trick. And he, they couldn't even get um, a consolation win against the USSR. So played three, lost three. They took the early flight home and uh, Robson had his job under threat. So what he did was um, axe several players like Glenn Hoddle, Kenny Sansom, Viv Anderson and a few others. Uh, making sure that they would never play for England again and brought some new players in to try and freshen up the team. So there, was not, there wasn't going to be any question of, you know, loyalties to certain players. If you weren't going to, perform, going to perform well enough, you were going to lose your place. And if someone who came in for you took his chance, he'd stay in. A uh, perfect example, of course, being a certain David Platt, who yeah. went on to play for Arsenal. And um, he came in, of course, as a replacement for Steve McMahon, who didn't really cover himself with glory in the Italian 90 opener against the Republic of Ireland when he ended up allowing Kevin Sheedy to score that equaliser. And I talk about Bobby Robson with affection. God rest his soul. That Italian 90 side was, in my opinion, uh, one of the best England sides I'd ever seen. Um, we should have gone all the way, and that semi-final will forever be an absolute heartbreaker. 2002 under Ericsson was also uh, pretty yeah. good because we had strength and depth, enough strength and depth um, that we decided not to pick Steve McManaman and Andrew Cole in the squad. Um, but we just um, couldn't quite go all the way. Um, Travis Sinclair coming in for Owen Hargreaves, um, it still didn't, st didn't halt our progress. And we went on to... We should have gone further. Had we beaten Brazil, I believe we would have gone all the way. Yeah. But again, it's the lack of ruthlessness from certain managers and the lack of um, imagination that really, really angers me in a way. And after um, Bobby Robson, I don't think we ever really had um, an England manager who was willing to be um, fairly ruthless in that respect. Maybe Glenn Hoddle to an extent at France 98, but... Um, he was never really popular with um, all of the players, and, and um, he struck a lot of people as being a little bit, you know, eccentric. Venables could have been quite good, but um, he was never going to be, you know, too interested to stay in the job. So we've got some problems. And if Eddie, um, Eddie Howe could potentially take um, the England job when Southgate leaves, but it could also very well be that they may decide to move... Um, for another potential um, big name, someone who's a little yeah. bit younger, who can try and, you know, freshen up the team a little bit. And um, it should also be mentioned that Germany sacked Hansi Flick and have, and after going back to Rudi Voller as an interim boss, of course, who managed the team in that 2002 World Cup, and they went on to reach the final, losing to that Brazil team. 
they ended up beating France, which is an absolute shocker. Although when you consider that Kylian Mbappe wasn't playing, you know, there is a slight um, drop off, you see. Yeah. But um, it could very well be that the FA decides to look for a more proven name who's won silverware at club level, who certainly knows how to communicate with players. And um, while I take the point that international football doesn't have the day-to-day or the week-to-week interaction the club football would have, I'd like to think that um, manager, these managers in question would find a way to somehow make it work. Of course, Hansi Flick couldn't do that despite his success with Bayern Munich. But again, it just goes to show that there, um, there, there, are, there is a little bit of um, you know, a leveling there. And I think his decision to keep faith with Kai Havertz um, ended up costing him. So, Arteta, if you're watching this, there's a lesson for you to learn here. 65 million quid for what? <laughs> to be honest, it is... It's two different type of management styles, isn't it, really, this this international football? Because, yeah. like you mentioned there, Hansi Flick, you know, did a fantastic job at Bayern Munich and did was exceptional there, but couldn't get a German team, you know, working, which, let's be honest, it's not the greatest of German teams, but there's still quality in that squad. There's still quality in the enough quality to get results against Japan. Um, and I think there's only three teams that they've beaten um, up until that point last week. Um, and I think one was Oman, wasn't it? One was yes. uh, Costa Rica. And there was another. And it was like, well, these are the three teams that you'd expect them to be. But you look at the teams that they've been beaten by, you know, you'd expect Germany to be right up there. Um, and another manager that has been linked with the England job, and of course, we'll come on to what he's done at Man City as well, no doubt, is Pep Guardiola. Now, I think this sounds crazy, but if it happens, Pep Guardiola is one of the best managers in the world at club level. Can he transition that into international football when he hasn't got no money to spend? You know, he's picking from a limited pool of players and a good quality pool of players. But what I'm saying there is it's not a pool of players which you can't go out and buy the next Erling Haaland for England. You have to find somebody who fits a role within your national team squad. You know, is there a danger that, you know, bringing in somebody like that for massive amounts of money, because let's be honest, Pep Guardiola isn't going to do it for cheap. That's a big risk, surely. And surely that's a big risk on his behalf as well, about tarnishing his reputation, like Hansi Flick's found. I wouldn't go so far to say that it would um, tarnish his reputation per se. Although, if you take a look at um, what happened with Fabio Capello, his stint with England was, um, you know, better, best forgotten. And Mm -hmm. when you take a look at it in its um, entirety, it wasn't really that much better than uh, Steve McLaren's stint with um, us, where he, you know, made some controversial decisions and um, ended up um, failing to qualify, um, qualify England for Euro 2008. And that was, of course, a tournament where we didn't see a single um, uh, uh, British Isles team uh, take part in that, which was really, you know, 
um, something which I absolutely hated. So yeah, I didn't I, even know yeah. who I could possibly support in those championships, mind you. Wasn't and the Croatia uh, game that one, wasn't it? Um, yes, the Croatia out. game. Yeah, the Wally with a brolly or something. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and that is a name which has deservedly stuck with him. Yeah. Um, you know, that game I remember fairly well. I think Paul Robinson, who whose position had been under scrutiny, had a bit of a shocker in training. So at the last moment, um, McLaren decided to um, drop him and play um, uh, Scott Carson instead. Fat lot of good that did, um, conceding a first uh, that first goal from a free kick. And then, of course, um, Capello came in with a Sergeant Major style with all his um, all the trophies he won in back back in Italy, and yeah. uh, didn't really do much better in his own right. Um, <laughs> of course, the John Terry scandal didn't work. I never really liked the player anyway. Never should have been captain for England ahead of someone like Sol Campbell or even Steven Gerrard. But um, Capello was never really willing to get to grips with the uh, culture or the um, or even the language per se, and he found he he thought that by being a little bit too strict, he would get the players to you know fall into line, and that sergeant major method doesn't really work too well. It has to be said. You've got to find a way to be able to relate more with your players and also try and get them on your side, but all, while also being able to lay down the law and let them know who's boss. Sort of like the way Eddie Howe's done with Newcastle, a bit like how Ange Postacoglu was done with Tottenham. It could very well be, as I said, that the FA may go in for a proven name who's proven himself in the Premiership. And that segues into Guardiola. One thing I do like about him is that he can be ruthless um, towards certain players if yeah. their form dictates that they deserve to be dropped and he had uh, nothing has stopped him from making some very big calls with an england connection of course the very first thing he did was um, tell joe hart sorry son you are a fine shot stopper but i want to have a goalkeeper who's capable of playing from the back and i don't think you can do that so i'm going to send you on your way and you're welcome to find another club elsewhere where you can play football i wish you nothing but luck but um that pretty much you know signaled the beginning of the decline of Joe Hart in a way, and yeah. he was never really able to rediscover the confidence that he um, had. I'm glad that he's enjoying himself up in Scotland with Celtic, winning titles left, right, and centre. And, you know, he should have a really um, a strong ending to his career, at least um, with all those trophies at Celtic. Um, of course, his England days, I think, as long as at least as long as Southgate is at the helm, are pretty much done and dusted. Although you think that given that he's he hasn't pushed 40 yet, he could still do a job. And um, there are still doubts over Jordan Pickford. I'm sorry, but I don't really think Ramsdale is necessarily the answer here. And um, I still don't really have. Um, I mean, Pope might be um, decent at a lot, a lot of other things, but with his feet, he's not really the best. And I don't really know how Sam Johnston or Dean Henderson will do. But um, Guardiola can be ruthless. That's probably the only thing that could work. And um, he will be the type of person to say to a, someone like um, a, a Henderson, look, mate, you've been a great servant, but I don't think you can you know, cut it anymore. I'm going to have to end your international career. Thanks for the memories. Now go and pick up your millions uh, over in Saudi. And that is the type of ruthlessness that we may need. The only issue I have is sometimes he may take that ruthlessness a bit too far. I don't know how good um, a man manager he is. And 
but at least when it comes to England, if there is a need for some wholesale changes and and for some, you know, younger players to be brought in who are hungry and who want to play, while some older players might, you know, be best moved on, he could prove to be that person. I just hope he doesn't have a falling out with too many players because um, even at Manchester City, there will be a sort of a leadership group of players that he has. England will also pretty much have the same thing with guys like Kane, Pickford, Maguire, Henderson, or whoever have you. He shouldn't antagonise too many people. The only problem is he's on a good salary at Manchester City. I was expecting that he would um, quit City if he failed to win the Champions League, but you know, now that he's done that, he's not going anywhere, and City aren't aren't going to be willing to sell him. He might decide when it could be time to leave um, Manchester City, and even then, I think he would sooner consider managing Spain than England. Um, Mm -hmm. Other examples I could think of, someone like maybe, um, and I did suggest this, someone like a Thomas Tuchel, who is, of course, now at Bayern Munich. But um, given the scrutiny that he's under, anything less than, um, you know, a good run in the Champions League and defending their Bundesliga title could very well see him sent on his way. Uh, And they're quite ruthless as well, how they got rid of Nagelsmann to bring him in and how they got rid of Oliver Kahn and Hassan Hassan Salimagic. I think that's how you pronounce it on the final day of the season. They're a club, as Harry Kane himself said, who make it clear that losing is not really an option. Of course, that doesn't um, that doesn't mean that um, they won't lose. Of course, they will lose every game every now and then. But it's how they recover from that and how what they do that matters. So Tuchel could be an option. I think a Jurgen Klopp would also, you know, maybe fit the bill. Um, I just hope he doesn't continue to pick Henderson and TAA and a few others. <laughs> but um, uh, just he... for old times' sake, <laughs> May- maybe. But I mean, but listen, if, 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 if Liverpool were ruthless enough to tell Henderson that you know he wouldn't have much of yeah. um, uh, a role at a role at Anfield, then I'm pretty certain that Klopp will be also a little bit ruthless in a way. But again, you know, every club manager will have their favourites, and that's going to be the worst part. So. The FA had better do some planning right now because when Southgate leaves, there will be a gap that has to be filled. Believe you me. And I think it makes sense that the manager, whoever comes in, has managed in England. Fabio Capello had never done that. Sven Goran Eriksson had never done that before. Um, but actually, moving on to this weekend and our opponents as well, especially, um, which is Chelsea, of course. And um, you mentioned him there. Thomas Tuchel was in charge of Chelsea at the start of last season. Then they got rid of him, bought in Graham Potter. That didn't work. They had the worst season that they've had for years. And now are with Pochettino. And my thought process, and I, I mentioned this to Michael Greco as well, um, of course, the actor who played Beppe DiMarco in EastEnders um, yesterday. Um, (laughs) But one thing I did mention to him was that with Graham Potter, yep, Chelsea fans weren't happy, but did he deserve that little bit more time? Because at the same time, managing Brighton is completely different to managing Chelsea. Chelsea, there's an expectation to win things, to be in the Champions League you know, the instant success. Whereas at Brighton, there isn't that. And now that's put 
Pochettino in a situation where he's got a squad full of these players that are worth millions upon millions upon millions. Of course, Chelsea have been working through the loopholes for a good 12 months since Bowley joined. But do you feel that, in a way, this Todd Bowley has to really stand by Pochettino come what may? You know, they're not going to get relegated. They're not going to get relegated. Are they going to get European football? Possibly not. And surely he's got to stand by Pochettino if that happens. One thing which will be in Poch's favour is that the season is barely um, four games old. Yeah. And of course, let's not forget that Luton have had a game postponed, so I think they've only played about three. Yeah. So to make any kind of judgments immediately based on, you know, the first four games of the season would be a little bit crass. And let's also not forget that um, Chelsea have once again tried to, you know, solve their own problems the only way they can. Offloading several players so they can stay within the FFP rules (laughs) and then shell out a boatload of money to get players to join them. Yeah. Um, I believe, of course, last season they spent over 100 million bob to get Enzo Fernandez. They spent a bit more than that to get Mo- Moises Caicedo. And on the face of it, you would think that those two together would be the perfect central defensive midfield partnership. But although in Enzo's case, I believe um, Scaloni likes to use him as more of an attacking midfielder. Yeah. I think that might very well be the um, case. Him and McAllister working together in the middle, they normally um, do really well, especially in that 4-4-2 system that Scaloni used in Qatar. And um, again, talking about Chelsea, the, the, another issue they have, obviously, is that their defence is quite creaky. Mm-hmm. The decision to give Reese James the captaincy and Ben Chilwell the vice-captaincy is pretty much blown up in their faces because James is injured. And they've still got Thiago Silva on the books. Yes, he's still performing well and doing the business, but I do believe that this will be his final season because age will catch up with everyone and, you know, you can't go on forever. And, again, it's a sort of a, a misguided um, transfer policy in a way where they never were really w- willing to strengthen in an area that needed strengthening, i.e. their defence. And now, of course, they've sent Kepa Arizabalaga on loan to Real Madrid, of all places. Good luck to them. I mean, <laughs> Kepa's going to have the time of his life, though, under Ancelotti, yes. and I think they're top of La Liga anyway, so uh, make of that what you will. Edward Mendy, the Champions League um, hero, has gone off to Saudi as well, so they've got Robert Sanchez and uh, a couple of other goalkeepers whose names um, uh, I can't even be bothered to try and um, you know, um, re- recollect right now. It's as if you've got a squad which is sort of, um, you know, middle and um, top heavy, but bottom light, as it were, bottom light in terms of the um, defense. And they haven't really been willing to strengthen in that particular area. And when you get those types of talents in your team, like Caicedo and Fernandez or whatever, Nicholas Jackson, of course, um, I can't forget him and others, you know, they can gel well in the middle, but at the back, they're going to be exceptionally weak. And against Nottingham Forest, when they lost at Stamford Bridge, it was a case of um, a lack of concentration more than anything else. The fact that um, Cucurella is still on the books is really um, uh, a surprise. They brought in Axel de Sassi, who doesn't even start for France, ahead of um, Theo Hernandez or Benjamin Pavard or whoever have you. 
I think De Sassi is a left back, so he'd be behind Theo and Lucas Hernandez in the pecking order. So um, Chelsea have all sorts of problems, and they're going to have to, you know, really find a way to try and um, get the squad to gel quite a bit. And yeah. they just, um, I think if I were Poch, I would tell them, I know you lot have some talent and ability and you know how to play. You just need to make sure that you play cohesively. And so I would actually would have given uh, Thiago Silva at least the vice captaincy because obviously his experience of having played and captained Brazil, you know, he'd be the type of person to at least get the team together and he's still performing quite well, mind you. There's a lack of leadership in that team, you see. And I don't see anyone being willing or able to try and, you know, drag the team um, and say, you know what, we've got to do this. We've got to move on. Losing Kovacic to Manchester City is also a bit of a blow because he was another player who could in some ways drive the team forward and is also exceptionally experienced um, internationally, having earned, I want to say, about 80 or so caps of Croatia. Maybe he's earned more, I think. And... um, Again, it's a lack of leadership, which um, hasn't really been um, addressed more than anything else. So picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I think... um, um Pochettino is going to really have to do a lot of work to try to get the team um, united. But if Eugene were here, he'd tell you that when he was in his um, heyday um, with um, Tottenham, he was able to really, um, you know, get the team um, behind him. And they loved working together as a unit, culminating in that memorable season in 2019 when they obviously, you know, got... Um, top four at our expense and um, reached the UEFA Champions League final. And yeah. when you think that as an Arsenal fan, we were actually hoping that Spurs would win because it meant that we'd end up, you know, going in, in as the fifth place team. You just think how the world was turned on its head at that time. Yeah. But obviously, um, not long afterwards, the wheel started to fall off a bit. Poch was sacked. Mourinho came in. Things didn't improve. And Spurs had been on a downward spiral since. Um, Chelsea don't have the potch of um, Tottenham then. They've got a new potch now who obviously feels as though he has a point to prove. But with a squad lacking in any kind of leadership in that particular sense, you just wonder You just wonder how they can really find it um, in themselves to try and um, drive themselves forward. Um, Sterling could be an option to captain the team, but I think he'd want to concentrate on his own form. And um, 
Yeah, it is um, James and Chilwell, of course, who are captains, but Thiago Silva is the vice-captain. And no one else really has that, um, you know, that gravitar to really to, uh, drag the team and say, you know what, we need to be better than this. So um, losing um, Kovacic is a bit of a blow. Mudrak is probably low on confidence. I think he got injured playing for the Ukraine against <laughs> us. And um, so that's sort of the problem, you see. It's a, it's, a, it's a problem that Chelsea have with with the leadership and motivation. Someone has to get in there and drag them uh, drag them and say, you know what, we've got to really move forward and be better than this. And with um, Chilwell, I mean, with James injured and Chilwell not really being able to be that dominating personality, I think um, Silva should be given the armband at least um, for quite some time. And he should be um, the one to try to get the team to really, you know, pick themselves up and move forward. And, um, of course, they're coming up against the Bournemouth team, and I'm sure you'll be talking about this, who yeah. um, have looked good in patches but haven't really had the results that they feel that they um, deserve. And um, um, I will segue back to you right now because I'm t I've spoken – say what I said about Chelsea. I think their lack of leadership will hurt them, and they could very well be right for the picking if you're able to – you know, get in under their skin. But coming back to you as a Bournemouth fan, you'd be the best person to tell me how you like this team under Iriola, how what you think of the style of play, and do you believe that results will be on their way? Personally, I think the football's a little bit more exciting. It seems a little bit more linked together. Um, I think there's a lot less about luck about it. However, and this is where it all boils down to, and every single, you know, every single football fan is going to say the same. You know, it's all well and good playing beautiful football, but if you don't get the results and you don't get 38 points at the end of the season, which is normally the figure to keep you up, you get relegated. You know, and let's be fair, Burnley did it for years where they were grotty. They weren't a particularly nice team to watch. It was long ball. It was anti-football. It was horrible. But they always got there. And they always got... And there was a lot of teams throughout the years, you know, who were relegated at Burnley's expense because Burnley got the points. Burnley got the points playing like that. Um have we got leaders at the club? See, this is another thing you got to throw at Bournemouth um, because I was looking at the Chelsea squad that faced Bayern Munich in that 2012 uh, Champions League final. And you've got to say that there was a, so many, so many leaders on that pitch. Um, you had Petr Cech in goal, Didier Drogba, Solomon Kalou, um on the bench, Fernando Torres, John Noby Mikel, um, Ashley Cole, you know, Frank Lampard, you know, they had quality. Michael Essien, how could I forget him? So they had so many leaders. Do AFC Bournemouth have a leader at the moment? And that is my big question. You know, We've got a lot of young talent. Zabania could well be a leader in the future. Sedesi 
probably our or the most experienced leader. Adam Smith, we can't really put in there because he's injured at the moment, but we know what Adam Smith brings to the side. Max Ahrens, again, youngster, good quality youngster, but again, is he a leader? And I think every side that is successful has that leader in it. And you look at that Burnley side, they had several. They had Ashley Barnes, they had Tarkowski, they had players that would pick up the rest of the team week on week when things were getting tough. And I do question whether or not we've got that at the moment. We've got the talent. Would you agree with me, Manny? The ta- we've got the talent, but have we got the leaders? Well, I mean, look no further than your goalkeeper, Mariah Neto. Neto, yeah. I mean, yeah. I do get the feeling in some ways, Craig, that maybe the uh, captaincy is putting a little bit of pressure on him, perhaps, because, mm. you know, he's still capable of producing some excellent saves, but you often get the feeling when you take a look at him that he's got, you know, um, a bit more weight on his shoulders and he feels a little bit under pressure to perform. I remember saying on several of our streams that the decision to take the captaincy away from Lloyd Kelly and give it to Neto was actually a masterstroke because it brought out in many ways the best in him and um, some of the saves he made and how he was able to um, drive the team on with his own experience was just um, outstanding in many ways. It allowed Kelly to focus more on his game. And Smith also, although he was a little bit more peripheral, I think, in the second half of the season, he also had some of his moments. Uh, the big problem now is, of course, um, Kelly and Smith, um, I think Kelly's been benched, I think. And Smith yeah. has also been um, injured, as you say. So I wouldn't say that there's, there, should, um, there is no one leader in the team because Neto has performed that role brilliantly. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be a leadership group. And it needs yeah. to comprise of some people who... Um, obviously have um, played at the club for quite some time and know what it entails. And if you have that sort certain group, they can be trusted in many ways to try to bring the um, club up. You wonder about someone like maybe uh, a Solanke or a Billing who always, um, I mean, Billing in particular is still one of your most consistent players. Someone mm-hmm. like um, maybe a, a Tavernier who a lot of us thought would end up leaving, but is still um, with the squad. Um, Iriola does have a decent group of players and in fact I'm going to take a look at the uh, Bournemouth um, squad right now and see if there is a um, you know if there is that sort of um, hierarchy in terms of the leadership and who the options are because yeah um, it is in fact Neto who's captaining the team Adam Smith of course with all his experience over 300 appearances is the vice captain but he is now injured followed by two Welshmen internationals of course and Chris Mepham and um, Davy Brooks so yeah. um, it could very well I mean Mepham of course I think I don't know how often he plays but Brooks is now wonderfully back in the picture and of course it is has been wonderful to see him come back into the Welsh team you know in a storm. And I believe he scored against Latvia, if memory serves me right. So there is that group. And maybe someone like a Darren Randolph, who both you and Matt said 
was good at performing the role that Scott Carson is doing at Manchester City. With his experience, 50 caps for the Republic of Ireland, starter in at Euro 2016, and also having played um, a lot of premiership football and has, has that experience, he could also serve as, um, in some ways, a leader more off the field, sort of like um, how Tom Heaton has been doing for Manchester United. So what Iriola needs to do is trust this leadership group a lot more and yeah. make sure that they um, avoid um, getting any real injuries. I think the loss of Steve Cook, Lewis's brother, was um, a loss in a way. It was tragic how things didn't quite work out for him at Forest. And I think Matt made, um, also mentioned that he had since um, secured a move to Queen's Park Rangers. But yes. um, he was, of course, a long-time captain, as you will know, of Bournemouth. And, you know, to lose him was also a bit of a loss in a way. But once you identify that leadership group and bring someone like a, a Solanke or a Billing in who have always performed very well, Senesi, as you mentioned, could be another option. Bring them in and sort of have them, you know, take more of an initiative in leading training sessions or what have you. Then you could possibly um, have... Um, um, a strong group which could take the team forward because Neto is a fine leader, but he needs um, all the help and support he can get. And whether it's going to come from the likes of Mepham or Brooks, who are at least playing a lot more regularly than Smith and um, Kelly. In fact, Kelly isn't even one of the um, vice captains now. So no. Um, who? So who it's going to come from will remain to be seen. But a, a leadership group has got to be identified stuck with and given all the trust that they can get from the manager. And if he can do that, that's fine. And of course, having played and managed in Spain, he'll know that the biggest um, clubs themselves have had um, big leadership groups themselves. So he's going to have to sort of form something similar at Bournemouth, not necessarily like at um, Athletic Bilbao where he played or Vallecano where he managed, but something almost um, to that point, if you know what I mean. Talking about Lloyd Kelly as well, and, you know, Lloyd Kelly is coming for a lot of criticism from our fans, you know, to be honest. After our game against Burnley last season in the FA Cup, he was poor. He was poor. He had a ropey game. Nothing seemed to work. But after that, and after taking that captaincy off him, you know, his performance has improved. And... But again, the Bournemouth fans seem to be hounding him for very little reason, for very little reason. Um, I know Lloyd Kelly is not everybody's cup of tea, not their favourite player. But when it shows something when you have got Spurs and, of course, former new manager Eddie Howe at Newcastle interested in the player. Lloyd Kelly has still got a hell of a lot to offer this football club. And even though maybe, yes, he's gone down the pecking order because Kirkes is looking good, if something happens to Kirkes, surely, you know, he's got to be somebody you could turn to and say he will be able to do a job. The problem with that in practicality is that although his performances recovered brilliantly last season, last season, Bournemouth had Gary O'Neill. They didn't have Andoni yeah. Areola. So I believe Areola has selected his first few teams this season based on what he's seen in training. And there's a reason why Kelly's been left out. And it is um, harsh on the guy. And I think, you know, given 
the service he's given to um, Bournemouth and what he's contributed as captain, he does deserve a little bit of respect. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly a lot, a lot more than what he's getting. But yeah. um, that's one of the harsh realities of football, as you know, Craig. Um, once you um, find yourself out on the fringes and someone takes your place and does better than you, it's going to be very difficult for you to um, find your way back. And that's sort of how it's um, worked out for him. But you know, there should be more games. I do believe Bournemouth are still in the League Cup. There will be the FA Cup to play. Yeah. And of course, as you mentioned, if, um, heaven forbid, something were to happen to um, Kirkies, you know, Kelly should be um, an option, as should uh, Mepham and one or two others. But um, again, there are only four games that have been played. And, yeah. um, you know, players are going to have to be, um, you know, confident and strong enough in the knowledge that there will be more games to play and they will have some more chances. Look, we're facing the same problem right now um, at Arsenal with um, ha- Arteta having to make sure he shoehorns Kai Havertz into the team every single game because, you know, we, in our infinite wisdom, quotation marks, splashed out a good seven, 65 million bob for him. And so we also we're also paying him um a ransom of a salary maybe not a king's ransom per se but whatever so it's that obligation that he somehow has to start every game i'd like to think that arteta would be smart enough to see the light and say you know what kai it's not working son i'm going to start bringing you off the bench i can't have you starting every game uh, if it means clogging up the system and things not really working effectively and because Havertz has to play we see um the system sort of being built around him which is costing the likes of Gabriel Magalhaes and Leandro Trossard several games. And Trossard in particular has to be credited with winning us the uh, Community Shield because had it not been for his deflected finish, we wouldn't have gone to the penalty shootout. And then, you know, City completely fluffed their lines. And his reward has just been, you know, he hasn't started. He's had a few cameos. He started against Fulham, didn't do too much wrong, but was ruthlessly hooked off. And um, there are several players who aren't really, haven't really featured all we can say, though, is that there should be some chances. But, you know, with them, Tierney having gone out on loan, several of us, myself included, are hopping mad. So I guess we're just being a little bit impatient for certain players to get more of the game time and the recognition that they deserve. All we can do is tell ourselves, you know what, they will get their chances eventually. So Lloyd Kelly should get his chances. And I'll tell you what, given Bournemouth's form, if, um, you know, results still continue to go you know, a little bit against them. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Ariola decides to say, you know what, maybe we could do with a bit of a shake-up. Because he doesn't know these players um, very well, having worked with them basically over the course of a summer and, of course, now these first few weeks. So he wouldn't be ash- uh, afraid to make a few um, big calls um, to try and shake things up a little bit if he feels that, um, you know, it's um, the need of the hour. So Kelly should get his chances and he will get his chances. But if he doesn't get too much game time this season or, you know, over the course of the season until January, then I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to hand in a transfer request and um, eventually, reluctantly, the club says, you know what, if you want to leave, we won't stand in your way. So there's still a lot of things that can happen. All we can do, I mean, speaking from Bournemouth um, perspective, (laughs) I think because you're right, I would like to keep Kelly if I if I were a Bournemouth supporter. But um, all we can do now is just watch and wait and see if he does get some opportunities to play and how well he does. I think our fans have to be patient, though, because we have got two points, four games played. You know, the two 
points were against Brentford last time out. Of course, start of the season against West Ham at home. Um, but we've also played Liverpool, who seem to be doing all right, and a rampant Spurs at the moment. And this month is going to get no easier. So, of course, we're playing Chelsea on Sunday. Following Sunday, we've got Brighton. And then, of course, we've got Arsenal. Yeah, we've got Stoke City in the cup. In between that, we should get a result against them. So that is September. And we could be seven games in. And providing that those the three, well, two of the three teams have got, you know, international football, European football, Chelsea being the exception, of course, in this case. Um, it could well be that we could be on two points, you know, with literally, um, you know, seven games played. But I think the fans have to be patient with Iriola because you look at the following games, Everton away, Wolves at home, Burnley at home. Now, that is where I think we'll be able to judge Iriola. Those three games, because Everton are poor, Everton are terrible, regardless of what anybody says to me, I still am adamant Everton are one of the worst three sides in this division this season, because Sheffield United should have beaten them. Um, Wolves, you know, I think Gary O'Neill keep them up, but are they particularly good side? They're going to be scrapping. I think they're going to be down there. They, they're they going to be in that relegation battle. And I think Burnley will as well, because I haven't seen really, you know, I thought Burnley would be fine, but I haven't really seen that much from them so far. I haven't seen what, you know, we expected. But do you, do you agree with me, Manny, that we've just got to be patient? You know, Bill Foley's made this decision to get rid of Gary O'Neill and bring in Iriola. And if we still are on two points after these seven games, it's not a panic of, you know, everything's going wrong. It's a case of we've got to win those three games because they're three winnable games. Yeah. Um, several people to whom I've spoken on the issue of Iriola were... Delighted, I mean, wouldn't say delighted, but they welcomed the decision to replace Gary with Andoni because um, they obviously did their scouting on him and thought that um, it was wonderful that um, Bournemouth were being so ambitious in bringing a guy who would play such attacking football. And I think you pretty much mentioned it. Uh, Sometimes some of the football that was played under O'Neill was a little bit tiresome to watch, but you got the results you needed and you stayed up. And, of course, the um, mitigating circumstances of starting the season so horribly and seeing Scott Parker getting sacked. You know, a lot of people will try to pretend to be wise and say, you know, O'Neill did have enough time to work with the team. So some of the results, last, especially near the end end of last season, were quite awful. Had we had you at least drawn or won those games, you could have been higher up the table. But when you make a big decision like that to um, get rid of the manager who at least, uh, you know, did his part by ensuring that Bournemouth would stay in and also avoided any kind of um, disaster in terms of exiting the Premier League and having formed that kind of a relationship with the players, you know, there was a part of me that hoped that um, O'Neill could would have built on the men- uh, on the momentum gained. But clearly, Bowley thought otherwise and wanted to have a new challenge. But as with Potter at Chelsea, 
it's a case of, you know, you've made your bed, you lie in it. Bowley <clears throat> found that out, and so will Foley find that out. And that's going to be the issue here. Because um, going back to Potter now, obviously, I'm one of those people who believe that he never should have taken up the Chelsea job. <clears throat> because he should have known that um, he was going to be on a hiding to nothing there. And it was obviously going to be a different standard um, playing, um, managing at Brighton than managing at Chelsea. And of course, when if he, if he was to sort of look back and take a look at how, you know, Brighton have been under De Zerbi and how they played, he'll probably look at himself and kick himself. But then there's a part of him that says, no, I had to to make the decision to move forward. And I actually left Brighton in a much better state, state than when I joined. So maybe he has that satisfaction. But joining Chelsea was always going to be a bit of a problem. And there's a, there's a part of me that will always think that maybe coming into the Premier League, which is a different style of football to La Liga, Iriola was always going to be on a hiding to nothing, as Unai Emery himself found that when he joined Arsenal. So... In short, I'd like to think that Foley would have progress, um, tangible progress in an improvement in the style of football and um, you know, a great deal of commitment and realizes that you know, any losses will not be down to um, poor play from the team, then maybe um, it could be considered. But again, football is a ruthless business. And you know, especially if you consider the, um, uh, that a manager may end up having a poor run of results, because um, the uh, teams against which um, against this team plays are just you know powerhouses, and they just don't have luck on their side. You know, you can you can you can look at that, and there can be a part of you that says you know you sometimes have to have a little bit of leeway. But then if you yeah. continue to go on that run, it might sap sap um, the team's confidence. And so it's a difficult question. I can't give you the answer immediately. I'd like to think that um, once uh, he, uh, once Bournemouth get these games out of the way and have a somewhat more manageable run, for want of a better word, in the Premiership and maybe do some good things in the Cups, um, we could see Iriola um, start to turn a corner and maybe work the, their way up the table. And um, if it's any consolation, I don't think Gary O'Neill's Wolves are doing that much um, better either. But, um, you know, having made a big decision to replace him with Iriola and put a lot of investment and a lot of hope into him. Uh, I can definitely understand the level of, um, you know, disappointment. I only hope that Foley doesn't do what Bowley did and sort of, you know, say enough is enough um, far too soon. But Bowley never should have sacked Tuchel and hired Potter in the first place. Tuchel was doing, would have done a decent job with them. And yeah. it just put through the team into turmoil. And sacking Iriola too early could very well um, throw the team into some type of turmoil. But he doesn't want to leave it too late um, in that, um, you know, Bournemouth will be, hopefully not, in a relegation battle. So it's a difficult question to answer. I think in the short term, you know, you stick with it. It's as simple as that. You just have to trust what the manager's doing. Yeah, and I think I think he's the style of football is excellent. And Iriola, you know has got so many credentials. I guess it's a case of how quickly does Bill Foley want that success? And I guess he didn't see that in Gary O'Neill. And, you know, like going back to that point, 
when Gary O'Neill was sacked and, you know, I was really disappointed because the people being mentioned at the time was Jesse Marsh, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard. There was a couple more that was being mentioned. But as soon as Iriola was mentioned, it was like, right, OK, I know who this guy is. You know, we know what he did at Rio Vallecano, you know, with a budget probably similar to that of Luton Towns. And, you know, he did a very, very good job. But again, is it a case that Bill Foley is going to want that instant success? I want to see progress this year. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's going to expect Europe this year. But is he going to want that success and that step up? Or will he be happy with finishing in a similar sort of position as last year, but progress on the pitch and then push forwards? But you know, hopefully, fingers crossed as well. And, you know, you did mention there as well, Wolves. Um, you know, I wish Wolves the very, very best this season because I would like to see Gary O'Neill do well. Um, and he deserves it. And I think, you know, his Wolves side, you know, against Manchester United were very unlucky. You know, of course, he got the three points as well. Um, so he's got three points in the bag. It's going to be a tough job. It's going to be a slog for him. But I'm hoping Wolves can keep their noses clear of the drop zone. But Not at your expense, though. Let's make that very no, clear. No, no, no. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, hopefully Mate, we'll be quite you, away you, from, you, from you, need, you need to be glad that I'm here to have your back. And, um, <laughs> yeah, everything you said about Gary O'Neill, obviously when he took the Wolves job as well, he knew that he was going to be on a hiding to nothing given everything that went on, especially with Lopetegui being forced to leave and several of their top players, including Ruben yeah. Neves, also leaving. So how he um, works with this Wolves team will be interesting to see. And going back to your original question on the instant success that Foley might want, I remember telling you on several occasions that Foley's no fool. He will have got him gotten himself immersed in the history of Bournemouth Football Club and also the, um, I mean, AFC Bournemouth, I should say. Sorry about that. And also he will have understood how um, they normally operate in a way and, how, and the type of football they normally play. Yeah. And, you know... When Eddie Howe obviously was um, at Dean Court, the success that um, the team had during those years was effectively finishing middle of the table, getting some excellent victories against some top sides, punching above your weight. And um, I think in Foley's eyes, anything would be better than finishing in the bottom half, having survived a relegation fight. Foley's going to want an improvement on you know a relegation dogfight he'll want to see the club finish um somewhere like maybe a 14th or 15th or even 12th or 13th or maybe a little bit higher maybe a decent cup run sort of the same um i wouldn't necessarily say the same expectations that newcastle had with them um, how because obviously when how came into newcastle they were in dire straits having let go steve of steve bruce and they were in a dreadful position yeah he brought them all the way up to 11th and earned their trust and then you know, taking them to fourth the following season was just uh, magnificent. Um, Bournemouth doesn't have um, a Saudi ownership. It has American ownership. And hopefully, as I've said, Foley will be a lot more sensible and say, you know what, I want to see um, Bournemouth improve and get better because I know that we, we're better than we were, we showed last season. 
And maybe the decision to get rid of Gary O'Neill was a sign of saying that, you know, life moves on and we have to demand more of ourselves. We can't have more of the same. And I just think that um, O'Neill would have been a little bit more limited. So we have to make an ambitious choice, which is why I said in my final, my previous um, answer, to, answer to your previous question, um, he has to, you know, stick with Iriola at least for the, for the um, foreseeable future depending on how many games that may be. But Foley also, if he's sensible, will have expectations of on-pitch improvement, not necessarily a big improvement, but enough to say that the club will be will not be in a relegation dogfight. And if they can go on a decent cup run and maybe say the League Cup or even the FA Cup, that would be a wonderful bonus. But Foley should be a little bit more sensible. And, you know, Chelsea, with their history, of course, having been... Um, European Cup champions, of course, Champions League winners, I should say, um, within about in a, in a period of 10 years apart, I'd like to think, 2012, 2021, and they've won some league titles in between and um, some other pieces of silverware. You know, Chelsea and Bournemouth are like chalk and um, cherries. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm, glad like I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I said it that way. Um, so Bournemouth obviously don't really have, haven't had too much of a history, at least recently, of you know winning some very big things. But obviously Foley wants to try to take the team forward. But as I've, I've said many times, he has to go about it in a more sensible way. Even if he were to bring someone like Carlo Ancelotti into the team the way Everton were ambitious enough to do, he'd be sensible enough to um, not expect miracles immediately. But mind you, Ancelotti did really well at Everton. He had them second in the league at Christmas one time. And yeah. it was just a case of ill luck with them that saw them finish mid-table. And then, of course, Real Madrid came calling. He couldn't refuse them. Rafael Benitez went there sunk them like a stone almost and Lampard came in and somehow kept them up the rest is history we don't need to talk about them but um you know in a nutshell Foley should be sensible he should accept that there should be the that Bournemouth can't be expected to do really great things but if there is some tangible progress in terms of performances and results and an improvement on you know just finishing in the lower half of the lower part of the second half of the table and avoid just avoiding getting relegated, I think he'll be a happy chappy because it's about progressive overload. Both you and I go to the gym. You can't expect to eager to try and bench um, 100 kilos or more your first time out. You try and do that, you're asking for a pec tear or a shoulder injury. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's all about gradual. You, you do things gradually, try to be better than last time, and then see where you can take things forward. And that's sort of the way you've got to go. It's as simple as that. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think we better wrap it up there. But of course, we are playing on Sunday at two o'clock. And then, um, of course, Arsenal do go to, away to Everton um, a little bit later on at 4.30. Um, surely you can't, you can't get beat by them this season. Surely if we do get beat by them, <laughs> beaten by them, Craig, I am going to absolutely lose it. I, I know that last season, obviously, it was Sean Dyche's first game in charge of Everton. Yeah. And while he was at Burnley, he had a bit of the Indian sign over Arsenal and Mikel Arteta. Also, Arsene Wenger during his final uh, two seasons with, with us. Um, he obviously set the team up that day well with his five-man midfield, back four and the lone striker. They stifled us well. Tarkovsky, you know, out-muscled Odegaard, headed in that winner, and we ended up coming away empty-handed. 
And that was absolutely a result that it was a result that left us absolutely seething. But in a way, we weren't really surprised at the time because we knew that our record at Goodison Park in recent years has been absolutely appalling. We haven't won there since 2017. Just abysmal. And so Sunday is going to be the, uh, has to be the day when we break our duck because this Everton team are, mind you, a team in disarray. They've um, already, they've, they've seen Neil Marpe go back to Brentford. They've lost uh, Demarai Gray to a Saudi club. And um, Calvert-Lewin, of course, is injured for goodness knows how long. It's all going to fall on their defence and midfield to try to, um, uh, you know, work on something special. But surely, you know, this time around with the players we have, we can't muck it up. We do. We might have our own injury worries, but if Arteta comes away from Goodison Park without three points... I, um, believe you me, they're going to be some cat calls. Yeah. I'm telling you now. Yep, and I I wouldn't be surprised at all if you know. Well, touch wood, it won't be the result, but you know, I think you should beat you should beat Everton. I think Everton look very very poor this season. Um, and like I say, one of the three to go down. But Manny, as always, an absolute pleasure. All the very best this weekend. And yeah, you hopefully, too, fingers crossed, we can get both get three points. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Hopefully, that will be the case from your lips to the ears of the Almighty. Make yeah. it so. <laughs> Definitely. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. Remember, do follow us on YouTube, on Instagram, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, whatever it's called. Um, we are the Talk Sport AFC Bournemouth podcast here so do keep up to date with everything Bournemouth by subscribing to this channel but until the next show up the cherries and we'll see you then thank you for joining us up the cherries cheers everyone The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.